Hi everyone, it's Guillaume from Startup Basecamp. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During the show, you will have the opportunity to meet the best climate tech founders, investors, and experts from both Silicon Valley and around the globe. They will share with you their stories and personal journeys into this growing and exciting industry, giving you some insight into the ecosystems that help you to take part in the fight against climate change and benefit from the opportunities it can represent podcast is divided in two small interviews. So in the first part, you will get to know our speakers, their perspectives on the climate crisis and how climate tech is changing the game. Second part of the discussion will be for members of our community who will learn the speaker's secret sauce on how to and share with you their unique expertise on topics such as fundraising, management, strategy and so on to help you to become a better leader in your field. So before we start, I would like to quickly share what we are doing at Startup Basecamp to support climate tech founders in accessing resources and gaining visibility with investors they seek. Our initiatives include a membership-based community platform offering access to a dedicated Slack group with a growing number of founders, experts and investors from around the world and a series of exclusive content such as interviews, weekly job listings, events, and our quarterly online pitch of night opportunity. But more than a place where you can learn, exchange, and grow, we are building a matchmaking service to facilitate connections between our members and top investors and experts in the field. And soon, alongside with other top investors, we will be launching a small fund to co-invest in the growth and acceleration of our members. Finally, all of this is possible because of your support and donations. We are a small self-funded team and we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. So please share one episode with a friend and subscribe to the channels. As an added bonus, we will plant a tree for each of our subscribers each time we reach 1,000 new fans or donors. Do not hesitate to connect with me via social media or email guillaume at Startup Basecamp. Thanks a lot for listening. I hope to get in touch with you soon. And now, let's go for the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. During this new episode of our founder series, we are sitting down with Alex Wright, CEO and founder of Sphere. Sphere is defining itself as a movement to get fossil fuels out of 401ks and are providing the tools to make it happen. Together, their community of employees across hundreds of companies is already on track to take away 3 billion USD from the fossil fuel industry. I was excited to speak with Alex, an incredible woman, passionate about nature, climate change, and most importantly, about doing something about it. After initial career in energy sectors, she went to MIT and co-founded IRLab. During that time, she wanted to offer her employees a 401k plan that is not invested in fossil fuel. After being unable to find one, Alex decided to build the tools and community movement to make it happen. In this episode, we will learn more about her experience in the 401k industry, the traditional financial versus green and ESG finance landscape today, and the controversy that can come with its greenwashing. Together, we will cover the initial challenges of building a company and how she launched a movement to engage employees to request a 401k clean of fossil fuels. We will also go deeper into the potential and opportunities that cleaning up the retirement market 
and making it available to everyone can represent in the climate crisis. Finally, Alex will share the next step necessary in achieving your vision and how you can get involved. During the second part of the talk, Alex will give a secret source for early stage founders looking to fundraise by relating our own successful fundraising journey with IR Labs and no Sphere. Finally, she will share some of the books she learned from and her own work-life balance tips for busy founders. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi Alex, welcome to the Tech for Climate podcast. I'm super happy to have you here with us today. And again, what an honor to have uh, such an incredible woman on the show with us. Thank you so much for having me, Guillaume. So as uh, usual, before we start, can you give us a 30 second intro to Sphere? Sure. So what Sphere is doing is we're making it easy for people who invest in companies via their retirement savings plan, which here in the US is called a 401k. We're making it easy for them to not invest in fossil fuel companies if they don't want to. Um, you know, a lot of people don't even realize that with their retirement savings, they're putting money in fossil fuel companies. And those fossil fuel companies are lobbying every day against climate legislation that would keep us safe. And so this is a way of making a statement and telling those fossil fuel companies, I don't want to give you my money as long as you're behaving this way. Uh, and we give them the option to not give them their money uh, at Sphere. Fantastic. So let's start from the from the top. Can you tell us a bit more about your personal story and background? What are you passionate about? What do you do? Or what do you love to do besides building Sphere and advising IR Labs, your previous uh, company that you founded? I mean, what makes you feel inspired or like your best self? Uh, as I always say, like, who is Alex? Well, it's hard to separate the work from me because I have to say I've been really passionate about climate change my whole life. Ever since um, I was 12 years old, I had a, a teacher, my science teacher, um, get me really inspired about the environment and climate change. And so, and I think part of that was actually, he got me really scared about humanity's impact on our planet and um, on climate. And so I've just, part of this has been fear-based <laughs> that I'm worried about what we're doing as a population to the earth. And the best way for me to not get too depressed about that every day is to feel like I'm working on it, like I'm doing something about it. And, and just feeling that I'm, uh, I'm working on it gives me hope uh, seeing, I think being part of the industry of, of amazing people who are working on climate and interacting with incredible people every day who are just working on solutions, uh, that is what gives me a ton of hope. And I've been in this community for a long time now. And I have to say over the past five, six years, the level of hope that I have that we will be able to turn this thing around has really um, increased which is funny because it's over the last five, six years that I've also seen firsthand a lot more wildfires living here in California and that we've seen a spike in uh, climate change related weather events. So that on the one hand, it's scary to be living it now. Whereas when I was younger, we, we knew it would be coming, but we weren't living it to quite the degree that we are now. But on the other hand, the amount of passion that I see around me and not just from people in this field, but just from everyone. Everyone cares about climate now. It's become a topic that I don't feel like I'm alone here with a few colleagues fighting on this, but um, uh, you know, everyone around me, my family, my friends, everyone now understands why I care so much about this and agrees with me. And then especially the young people of today. Um, 
the the young people across the U.S. who brought the Green New Deal to um, to to the politicians in power, right? The the Sunrise Movement that has played an amazing role in making this top of mind for everybody and adding it to the agenda of the Democratic Party in the U.S. Same thing with Fridays for Future and other youth-led movements in Europe and around the world. Uh, it's just incredible to see how much progress the movement has made thanks to very, very young people. And I, I remember myself being a young person caring about this. I didn't have nearly the amount of impact that young people today have on climate. And it gives me so much hope to see how incredible young people are today. So um, yeah, besides Sphere and IR Labs, I, you know, I like to enjoy nature. If you want to talk about what I do when I'm not working, I love hiking and biking and um, I love being in the ocean, um, but um, I also love advising uh, startups uh, in climate. I, I talk to startup founders all the time. I love giving advice. I just want to see as many of these new technologies and ideas find success because we need everybody working on this right now if we're going to turn this around. Definitely. And I think it's, uh, it's uh, as you mentioned, it's, uh, so exciting to see so many brilliant people uh, joining the joining the movement so many people excited about like finding solutions so I think this is a, a, lo a lot of hope and we'll go back to, to that uh, a little bit later in the in the interview so in terms of like your uh, career work and, and life experience in a way if you can like walk us through that uh, that experience prior uh, sphere uh, and maybe like pin, pinpoint out like one or two like I would say, nuggets uh, of experience that you realize that really was important and that give you in a way uh, edge today uh, to be launching uh, launching sphere maybe mm -hmm. like you know experience that would have been like you know possible to bring with you uh, as of today if you didn't have that uh, that journey that you that you had oh that's a great question and an interesting one um i would say that i wouldn't have realized that uh, this was a problem if I hadn't started another company before, if I hadn't started IR Labs and grown that company and, and learned how hard it is to offer a climate-friendly option, and a, an authentically climate-friendly option for retirement savings to employees, um, because I tried to do it as CEO of IR Labs, and it was so hard to accomplish. So we'll dive into that a little bit more, I think, later. But that, just having that experience, feeling firsthand how hard it is and how there really aren't good solutions. Um, there weren't good solutions before I founded Sphere um, was super important. Um, and I would say the other, um, <sighs> I'm just blanking on what I was gonna say. Can you edit it all? Yeah, for sure. No Thank problem. You. And the other experience that was super important was actually an experience I had while I was a student at MIT. I got an MBA at MIT, and it was while I was there that I met my co-founders for my first company, IR Labs, and we spun a technology out of a lab. But another experience that I had while I was there was that uh, there were some students running a movement called Divest MIT that was all about removing fossil fuels from the MIT endowment. and I had never thought too much about investments before then, but I participated in some of the protests that the that the students were organizing to try to get MIT to divest its enormous endowment. 
And in doing so, that's what got me thinking first about my own investments. I realized, oh, before I got an MBA, I had a job where I had a retirement savings plan through the company-sponsored 401k. And I was working at a clean tech company, this company called Enernock, that um, uh, was very much one of the earlier clean tech companies in the 2000s. And all of my colleagues would have not wanted to be invested in fossil fuel companies. But I realized, wait, were we all invested in fossil fuel companies? And I went back and looked and realized, yes, I was invested in fossil fuel companies. And that's crazy. And before telling MIT to have their endowment not be invested in fossil fuels, I should probably um, make sure that I personally wasn't. So I figured out how to divest my own 401k, which you do that when you no longer work at a company by rolling it over into something called an IRA, and then you have a lot of choices. You can really choose anything to invest in. So it's a little intimidating if you don't know the investment world very well, but it's something you can figure out if you do a lot of reading. Uh, and that was really what raised awareness about, wow, even at a clean tech company, I was defaulted into an option that had me invested in fossil fuel companies. Interesting. Okay. And that it was when the, the wheels started turning that eventually ended up leading me to, to want to start Sphere. Okay. So before we go uh, into the, the, the overview of the, of the landscape and the market that uh, Sphere is evolving, We'd like to also understand, and you mentioned that uh, prior into the interview a little bit about this um, you know, inspiration that uh, your professor, uh, by in a way creating fears on your side about climate change, like, plus now you mentioned like the different, like, um, I would say, moment uh, and experience that you realized that in a way pushed you. But do you have like any, I would say, uh, driver um haha moment uh, that you could maybe define as like that really like drives you to, to jump into the, the climate tech industry uh, in itself? Uh, I think the driver, you know, I, I cared about climate in particular since way back. So I can't think of an aha moment besides my inspirational seventh grade science teacher. But more of an aha moment for me was when I realized that entrepreneurship was the path I wanted to take to make a difference in climate because I knew I wanted to work in the field going way back and in college or university, I, I didn't really know what career I wanted to make an impact and I explored a lot of things. I did internships all over the place, which were great for just learning about different types of jobs, um, science and policy and, um, and I ended up doing an internship actually at a venture capital firm and I thought, oh, maybe I should go into venture capital. And it turns out that one of the partners there, um, more of an advisor, not, not a full-time limited partner, but he was a, a really important advisor to the partners at this firm called Lux Capital. Um, and Lux Capital at the time focused on nanotech. So they, um, you know, nanotech was a big buzzword back then, and they were kind of the nanotech VC firm, and they had this key advisor who had founded 20 different nanotech companies, uh, spinning all these companies out of labs across the country. Uh, 14 of those companies had gone public. And I was just amazed at, wow, that's a career path. You can just go to labs and meet scientists and engineers inventing things and, and help get those inventions out into the world. That That's what I want to do. So that was my big aha moment that got me into entrepreneurship. I realized I don't want to be funding startups. I want to be starting startups, but a specific type of startup, uh, which was the type that um, 
you know, somebody invents some amazing breakthrough. And, and for me, it wasn't nanotech, it was climate tech, of course. So I thought I want to go around to labs, find these inventions that might not make it into people's hands if, if there isn't that extra boost. And I want to be that extra boost to help get them out there. And that's what drove me to go to MIT uh, for the MBA so that I could meet the people inventing things across all the different labs at MIT, of which there are 300 labs at MIT that do energy-related research, which is mind-blowing to me. Um, and then that's why I started IR Labs. And now with the second company, Sphere, is not spinning a technology out of the lab, which honestly was a big surprise to me. I thought I would be doing this over and over again. That was my career goal. And I was surprised to find that, oh, there's this other problem that needs solving and I think I'm the person to solve it so that's that's how I ended up here so before we go into detail about uh, sphere and 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 how uh, the whole company and, and and everything works we'd like to get like as we uh, we like to to ask first more like the the landscape the macro view of the uh, ecosystem that uh, sphere is evolving into so if you can like tell us a little bit more about and give a more context about the climate or green finance landscape today uh, compared to the, the traditional finance? Is it still like really like a, a small part of it or is it like a buzz greenwashing thing or something is really happening? I mean, tell us a little bit more like, uh, and I know for one case it's like one part of it, but uh, you probably have a, a better understanding of what's happening today. And, uh, you know, we, we see like famous, uh, famous bank in Europe uh, with uh, the site on, in California with a big bear. And I will not say any name, but, uh, you know, speaking a lot about what they do, which is fantastic. And I think uh, things needs to, needs to move that direction. But tell us like, what do you see? So you're right. Uh, ESG and green finance is it's definitely a buzzword right now um, and uh, it's not a, a, um, a fringe concept anymore. I think more than half of all investments, uh, if you just look at investments overall, uh, are now at least branded as being ESG, which isn't the same thing as green exactly. Um, that's one one problem that I think uh, a lot of people don't really understand that. Um, and there's this kind of disconnect when people are talking, when they, they kind of equiv equivocate between uh, ESG and green, but um, ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance investing. So environmental, I'd say, is pretty similar to just green investing, but there's also social and governance, which are, are different aspects uh, that investors look at. With all of that said, so yes, it's it's a huge buzz topic right now. It's the fastest growing sector in finance. Um, so anyone who isn't doing ESG investing is trying to get into ESG investing if they're in the financial sector. So given that whole backdrop, it's surprising that it was so hard to have a climate-friendly option offered in the IR Labs 401k. Uh, and I, that's why I, one reason I was so shocked that it was so hard. Um, but it turns out that, in general, ESG products are thought of as premium products. And they're really marketed towards investors who have more money to invest, uh, high net worth individuals, uh, institutions. And people aren't really making great ESG products or, well, people are making ESG products, but people are not making authentic, climate-friendly products for the 401k market, which is to say the vast majority of Americans who are saving for retirement and who don't save much outside of that. Um, 
And there are different needs, very different needs uh, that investors have within the 401k market than within the rest of the investment market. And so that's why I think we don't see any great options. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's a good segue. Can you hear me? Hello, hello. Alex. Hello, Alex. Hello, Alex. Recording in progress. Alex, can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? Fantastic, you're back. I, uh, <laughs> I, I could, could hear you all along, but you, you were frozen. But I could hear you. It was weird. Ah, fantastic. That's good. I was not like, oh, God damn it. She was, <laughs> she was so boring. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm so sorry. I don't know what, what happened, but uh, it sounds like the recording is still in progress. So that's fantastic. So probably uh, it, it's a good segue just to go a little bit uh, deeper and to understand on the 401k site, uh, as you mentioned, it's a very popular uh, you know, retirement plan option uh, in the US. So what is the current situation? I already like started to touch on, uh, touch on, on it a little bit. Uh, I mean, can you tell us a little bit more like how the 401k works and, and, and who is managing them and, uh, and what are the type of product that they're investing in and, and how, how to make it different? Or Yeah, yeah. So in the US, um, the way, the primary, primary way that Americans have of saving for retirement is through this 401k, which is a little bit different than the pension plans you might be used to, because there's not somebody else managing your money. Um, with the 401k, which it's, it's an employer-sponsored retirement savings plan, and, and there are different versions of it. There's something called a 403b, but they all work pretty similarly. Um, And the reason it has this horrible name is it refers to the section of tax code. <laughs> so that's what this is. Uh, and it's different from pensions because employees can make the choice of where to put their money, um, as opposed to entrusting a, a pension fund manager to invest the money wisely for them. But the way that the U.S. government protects the regular person who might not know much about investing from making poor decisions with their retirement savings is they put the responsibility on the employer to only make wise options available to the employee. So if you invest via your company-sponsored 401k, you have very few options available to you as to what to invest in anywhere from five to 20 or 30 or 40, but it's, it's a very limited group of funds and they're mutual funds. So publicly available mutual funds down selected to this handful of funds that your employer has vetted to make sure that they're all safe places. If you invest in these, you won't lose all of your savings um, by investing in some super risky thing, for example. Uh, so that responsibility falls onto the employer. And then within that smaller sphere of options, the employee gets to choose whatever they want. Because the employer has that responsibility and now opens them up to lawsuits, which makes employers very conservative as to what options they make available. Because the last thing you want if you're a company with employees is, is to get sued by your employees for um, doing something you shouldn't have and making those options available. And the things that commonly cause lawsuits are number one, excessive fee lawsuits. So 
employees commonly sue employers for having funds that are too expensive in their lineup. And they band together and do these class action lawsuits that are very common in the U.S. Um, against their employer to get more affordable options. So the fees that the money managers are charging to, to manage each mutual fund that's an option in the 401k need to not be too high. Um, so that's really led a trend in 401ks away from actively managed funds, which mm -hmm. tend to have uh, expensive management fees, towards index funds, where there's no active asset manager. It's just a fund that follows some publicly available index. And so it can be really, really low cost. And so more and more, almost all of the options in 401ks are moving towards index funds. Uh, another thing that employers can get sued for is having funds that don't perform well compared to their benchmarks in their mm -hmm. 401k. So they're very careful about, you know, if a fund starts underperforming, they'll swap it out with a better performing one. Um, and so performance is very, very important in 401ks. So again, a, a good reason to go to the towards like the index and to say, okay, the market was up, we're all up, the market was down, we're all down. Very true. Yes. So it's a safe option for employers to offer indexes. Absolutely. So those are a few of the key things. Um, another thing that's just random is a lot of the biggest platforms that manage 401ks mm -hmm. on behalf of employers don't allow ETFs, which stands for exchange traded funds. A lot of the index funds out there are ETFs, uh, though there are mutual funds that are also index funds. And for some reason, those ETFs just aren't allowed on the big 401k platforms. Only mutual funds are. And ETFs are a more modern type of fund. Any fund that's been created in the past 10 years is probably an ETF, not a mutual fund. A mutual fund is kind of the old fashioned way of setting up funds, um, but that's all that's available in 401k. So it really limits the more modern types of funds from being available in 401ks. And a lot of the more authentic climate friendly funds are ETFs. And so they're just not allowed, which is a silly okay. thing, but very much true in the US right now. And in Okay, thank you so much for giving us this, uh, you know, uh, broad uh, overview of the of the landscape and what's the, the, the situation today. So last question regarding the, the, the I would say, the, uh, the environment here. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about uh, employee engagement regarding uh, climate change? I mean, the, the product that you guys uh, are putting into the market is really like uh, you guys will uh, not uh, allow any of your, uh, your money going towards those uh, um, fossil fuel companies. But do you have any data about like really like this engagement behind that? I mean, are they really trying to uh, to make the change or is it again a lot of like uh, greenwashing here? Uh, is it really something that uh, for, for the employee, uh, something that is really, really critical for, for them? Or is it still like marginal right now and it tends to grow uh, in the future? And maybe I don't know, like how, how companies are going uh, after that. Is it like every company is like, you know, people at Walmart are thinking different probably than people at Tesla. Uh, how do you see that in the in, 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 in the landscape today? Well, first I'll say it's just shocking that pretty much almost no companies have a, an authentically climate friendly option available 
to their employees, whether you're talking about Walmart or Tesla, none of them do. And that is really shocking to me, especially for a company like Tesla that has market power. They have enough employees, a big enough 401k that they could really make a difference if they were to do this and they don't. That's really surprising to me. Uh, and there are definitely, I've spoken with many Tesla employees who would love to have this option and they just don't feel that their voices are heard. And it's definitely a problem for employee engagement because more and more studies are showing, especially right now with the, the great resignation. I don't know if this is um, as big of a topic around the world as it is in the US, but people are talking about it nonstop right now, how people are not tied to their jobs the way they used to be. Now with the pandemic having gone on, people are just looking for jobs that have more meaning to them. And a big part of finding meaning, especially for the younger generations, uh, millennials, Gen Z, they really want to feel that it's an authentic alignment that their employers have with their values. And so if they see an employer talking about caring about climate, but they're not even giving them a climate friendly investment option in their 401ks, they notice that and it really makes employees angry. And I've, I've spoken with a bunch of employees who have been trying to get a fossil free investment option at their company for years and get so disgusted by the whole process, they leave and they go work somewhere else because they just, um, they're so frustrated that their employer doesn't seem to be listening to them at all. So it's, it's still a very new topic. A lot of people don't even think about where they're putting their investments, but more and more people are becoming aware of it. And once they do become aware of it, it's something they get really frustrated about. And the greenwashing is a huge problem with it too, because a lot of the time employees will ask their employers, they'll go to HR and say, hey, I would love a climate friendly option, a fossil free option. Then HR will go to their 401k advisor. This is you know, a financial advisor who advises the company on their 401k and they'll say, hey, we have employees asking for green options. The advisor will then say, oh, you mean ESG options. Okay, we'll add an ESG option to your plan. Oftentimes that ESG option is just as heavily invested in fossil fuel companies as the non-ESG option because of this thing I was talking about where to financial managers, they say, oh, we need to be, you know, 5% invested in this sector and 3% in that sector. Um, and then employees will see, okay, you added an ESG option, but why is it still invested in Exxon and Chevron? That makes no sense. Uh, so there's really this disconnect going on. And I don't even think it's really because anyone has bad intentions. I think it's because the way that the financial industry, people who've been working their whole lives in this industry, think about green products is they put this ESG framework on it, which is really mm -hmm. not the same thing uh, as what employees who, you know, over 80% of Americans are worried about climate change now. It's the top number one issue that they want to make a difference on this with their money. And there's this disconnect in language that's happening. Uh, and so I think a lot of the frustration comes from that. And, and at Sphere, we're trying to to shine a light on it and provide a real authentic option where, where employees can make a difference with their money. Okay, so let's go back to, uh, to Sphere in itself. Um, can, can you tell us um, a little bit more, like you already touched on a, a little bit about it, but like the, the story behind it, like, uh, I mean, you already like uh, started this, this company out of like the needs, uh, but tell us a bit more about like what, and then maybe we can start to understand a little bit more about like the, the product itself, like uh, how do I sign up? Uh, how does it work? Uh, tell us a bit more about, uh, about that as well. Yeah, so the background on Sphere is really my background. So I told you about how um, 
I was at MIT, I wanted to start a climate-friendly company. I started IR Labs. What we do at IR Labs is we make data centers and supercomputers more energy efficient by using light to move data between chips. It's really this amazing breakthrough my co-founders came up with that uh, they made the world's first ever processor to communicate using light. And we, of course, have a culture at IR Labs of caring about climate change, about making data centers much more energy efficient and cutting down on the energy use in one of the, the biggest the fastest growing users of energy worldwide, which is computing infrastructure. Um, and so it was really important to me to have a fossil free option there. And that the response I got every time I asked our providers for a fossil free option was, oh, interesting, let us look into that. And it, it took over three years to get a single fossil free option. So I was just shocked at how long it took, how hard it was. And that was that frustration that led me to decide to start Sphere. Um, and it turned out that I wasn't alone. There are other CEOs of clean tech companies who've had the same frustrations I've had. It turns out you know, there are these employees at big companies, you know, Apple, Facebook, Microsoft, you name it. There's an employee interest group at all of these companies that's been pushing for fossil free investment options for years and not getting it. Um, so that's really the, the founding story of, of why I decided to start this, because I realized, um, you know, there are some real structural reasons that it's hard to put fossil free options in 401ks, but none of them are insurmountable. You know, like it's possible to have an inexpensive index fund that's fossil free. It's just no one's done it yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so we started Sphere to create the type of mutual fund that's acceptable in 401ks, where employers don't have to worry about lawsuits for excessive fees. They don't have to worry about lawsuits for poor performance. Uh, you know, fossil fuel companies have been dragging down performance over the long term for decades. There are a ton of studies showing this. And so just removing fossil fuel companies from an index means you have a good performing index. You can document that with a 10-year backtest that shows how well it performs. And so you can offer safety to employers who might be worried about lawsuits. And then the other thing that we're doing is we're really amplifying the voices of those employees who are asking for fossil free options, because the more people who ask for this, the more likely they are to get it, because there are some gatekeepers, you know, first, there's there's HR, HR has to want to implement this. So the first thing employees can do who want this is just get in touch with their HR manager, their benefits manager and say, hey, I'd love a fossil free option in our 401k. But then the HR manager will go to their 401k advisor. This is an external financial advisor. And they'll say, hey, employees are asking for this. Um, and then that advisor will go to the, the record keepers. These are the platforms that provide 401ks. And, and basically, the more demand you have coming from each of those steps, the more employees who are asking for this, the more HR managers who are asking for it, and then the more... 401k advisors who are asking for it, the more of these platforms will make truly fossil free options available to companies. So really creating that customer side demand from the grounds up is the most important thing. And that's why we're really amplifying the voices of employees who are asking for this and making sure those voices are heard. So how did you how did you manage to put that together and what was the initial challenges that you face uh, as coming from like you know you're like uh, working in tech and not at all in the financial world so how did you you know catch up on all of that and and understood like what is the regulation behind it and like who needs to uh, you know to, to to make it happen like T tell us a bit more about that and how do you select those uh, those stocks how do you build this index to make sure that uh, you can really you know, provide this 100%, uh, I would say, uh, uh, insurance that 
there is no fossil fuel behind another product that uh, that is in a way uh, in part of the of the portfolio. There are a lot of pr approaches out there to making more climate friendly options than the average. Everyone will have a different approach that they use. Um, the vast majority of the approaches are much more thoughtful, honestly, than ours, but also much more time intensive and expensive to put together. They're usually actively managed. There's somebody giving ratings to every company within a fund and saying, okay, is this company truly, uh, you know, being climate friendly? Are they moving in the right direction? Are they making commitments on what they want to do by 2030 and by 2050? And then are they sticking to those commitments? Are they measuring their carbon outputs? Um, so there are a lot of really thoughtful, wonderful investment products out there uh, that take that approach. Those products aren't a good fit for the 401k marketplace, as I mentioned before, because they're expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and then oftentimes you need a, a long um, uh, history of that fund existing so that uh, the, the companies that are deciding to like take a, a leap of faith on this asset manager and put this option in their plan don't have to worry about poor performance, right? So they want to see mm -hmm. a good track record. Uh, so what we ended up deciding to do was to take a much more simple approach. So we're not actively managed. We're not trying to say who's, who's a good guy, who's a bad guy, what company deserves to be here, what company doesn't. And we're not doing any tracking of companies over time to see whether they're sticking to their goals. We do none of that. We have a very simple approach that can be low cost, which is, I think, the number one thing that matters in 401ks. So what we did was we took the most popular index that exists in the U.S., which is the... S&P 500 index, the top 500 U.S. companies by market size, the biggest companies mm -hmm. in the U.S. So we just we take the top 500 U.S. companies and we remove the fossil fuel companies. We don't even decide who the fossil fuel companies are um, because you can define fossil fuel in a lot of ways. But I really like the definition that this one nonprofit uses. It's called As You Sow, and they run this website called FossilFreeFunds.org, which is a really fantastic website worth checking out. Um, and their definition of fossil fuel companies is companies that extract fossil fuels from the ground, that refine those fossil fuels, that distribute them. It's a very, it's a very straightforward definition of fossil fuel companies and very limited, which is good for this retirement use case because you could expand, you know, you could say, oh, but do they, you know, FedEx has a lot of trucks that, you know, burn a lot of fossil fuels and does that count, et cetera. You could kind of, it could creep, yeah. you could see this creeping into a large swath of the economy. But in um, retirement planning, you want to be broadly invested, very diverse. And so the nice thing about this narrow definition of fossil fuel companies is that uh, you only remove 5% of the uh, total market cap and you're not concentrating your wealth into one sector. In, a, in an overly heavy way, which could be risky uh, to do with retirement savings. Another nice thing about this definition is that when you're just talking about traditional fossil fuel companies, it aligns very well with the companies that are doing a lot of lobbying um, internationally to prevent fossil fuel um, regulation, to prevent climate legislation from getting put in place that would keep us all safe. And Ultimately, the reason that I started this company was because 
I don't want to be giving my money to companies that are lobbying against legislation that would keep us safe. I think the number one most important thing we can do to turn this around is to put a framework in place globally that limits warming to one and a half degrees Celsius. Once that framework is in place, honestly, we can burn fossil fuels. Uh, there's a limited amount of fossil fuels that I expect we will burn while still keeping our planet safe and under one and a half degrees Celsius. But the thing is, we have to have that framework so that we know we won't go beyond one and a half degrees Celsius. And what's preventing us from having that framework in place? Honestly, it's lobbyists. Yeah. A majority of not only Democrats in the U.S., but even Republicans in the U.S. are worried about climate change and want to see the government do something about it. But the government isn't doing what we want. Why is that? Because of special interests, because fossil fuel companies pay so much money and politicians are terrified of the fossil fuel lobby. It's so powerful. And so we're sending a message to the fossil fuel companies in particular, loud and clear. It's not FedEx that's doing this lobbying. You know, it's not the airlines. It's Exxon and Chevron, right? And so we're not <laughs> going to give them our money until they take their lobbyists and bring them to the table. Have them participate in a conversation about what should this framework look like? How do we keep ourselves safe? And it, it might sound crazy to say that I think they should come to the table and be part of the conversation about climate legislation, but I honestly don't think we'll be successful in having climate legislation that keeps us safe unless they're part of the conversation. And I look back at history and I see this has happened before um, with, with the automobile industry. There was a time when they were lobbying against emissions legislation in the U.S., and then there started to be this sense of inevitability that there was going to be emissions regulation in the US and they realized, hey, we'd rather have a seat at the table and help craft what that legislation looks like and also create some certainty in the timeline instead of having no idea when it'll come out and how it'll impact our business and having all this uncertainty in the future and also not knowing how it'll impact each company, we wanna create a, an a level playing field and make sure that every company is impacted in an equal way. So we'll come to the table, we'll help craft that legislation, we'll actually lobby for emissions legislation. That's what ended up happening with the automobile industry. So we want to create that same scenario with the fossil fuel companies. Create the sense of inevitability. There will be legislation put in place. Come to the table, be part of the conversation about what it should look like instead of fighting against it. Now let's keep all of us safe. And that's what we're trying to do here with this very narrow focus on fossil fuel companies. And I think that's a good segue for my, my next question. It's like, how do you engage and accelerate this, this movement uh, for, in a way, user adoption uh, into, uh, uh, into your movement? Like, do you feel like any, any roadblocks to acquire, you know, more employees or companies? I mean, what needs to happen to, uh, to, to, to go mainstream with, uh, with Sphere and, and find you as, uh, as an option in every company uh, in the U.S.? You know, it's really a grounds up movement. And the thing that's exciting about this is it's super empowering to individuals because yes, by divesting your own money, you have some impact on you know, trying to influence these fossil fuel companies. But you know how you can have a lot more impact is if you can convince your company to offer this option to employees. Some companies, especially the big ones, Microsoft, Apple, et cetera, Google, they have tens of billions, 10 to $30 billion in assets under management in their 401k retirement savings plan. So if just a handful of employees at each of those companies is successful in getting the entire company to offer this option, they could literally move billions of dollars out of the fossil fuel industry. 
it's just incredible the impact that an individual employee can have just within their own field of, in, of influence. So, you know, we spend so much time, if we care about climate, thinking about things like, oh, what, what groceries should I buy or what jacket or t-shirt should I buy that has the, the you know, least bad environmental footprint. Honestly, just having this influence within your own company uh, can have a way bigger impact than, than so many other things in your life. And so I see a lot of employees who are already feeling empowered by just that knowledge. And so really it's growing that movement and learning from other movements that have seen a ton of success over recent years. The Black Lives Matter movement, the, um, uh, the Sunrise movement um, with a Green New Deal, what all of these movements did very well was empower people locally. There were local leaders within each uh, city, within each town, leading the movement locally. And so in this case, it's really going to be all about um, leaders within each company, leading the movement within their company. And so we're really trying to do our best to lift up those leaders and to um, help them learn from each other, put them in touch with each other so they can learn mm -hmm. tactics from each other. Uh, and so that we're, we're all creating this change from within. And ultimately, we're creating win-win situations for everybody. You know, employers more and more have sustainability commitments already. And this is one way of helping them do better on their sustainability commitments. Uh, it's a way of improving employee retention and recruiting. And people save more money for retirement too if they're not investing in this underperforming sector so um so so yeah we're, we're all about building that movement and empowering people from the grounds up fantastic and uh so let's speak a little bit more about the the, the economics of, of sphere like the the business model i mean uh how does it work what's the the, the margin uh cost of uh, to, to acquire those new users sounds like you're spending a lot of time like to empower uh, employees uh, as advocate in, in different companies so they're doing this uh, uh, spreading the word for for you guys so uh, tell us a bit more about uh, the economics of, uh, of sphere good question um and you probably picked up on the fact that we don't charge very much for our product our product is this index fund that we offer for um for 401ks, it's called the the Sphere 500 Fossil Free Index, and um, and the fund itself doesn't charge very much money. So we have very very small margins until we get to very high asset levels. So basically, we have to get to billions of dollars in assets under management to just be making a decent amount of money and covering costs on the fund itself. Um, but I think that if we're successful with um, building this movement, we'll, we'll, we'll fly past the, the billion dollar threshold and well past it because so many people care. Over 80% of Americans are worried about climate change and this is a real way to make a difference. So we're really banking on, um, you know, the, the only way we can have these low margins is by being able to grow to, to very high levels and then also thanks to the generosity of our investors. So we're venture backed. Um, and, you know, in essence, what our, our venture capital investors and angel investors are investing in and backing is, is our ability to run at a loss until we get to that break even point with, with a large amount of investment. Uh, and then, you know, the, the other part of our business model is we'll be offering other products as well. So once we have a lot of customers, we know that cus those customers want more interesting things to invest in as well. So 
will not only be offering this top 500 US companies portfolio, but also, you know, people want to be able to invest in the future, be able to invest in a climate tech portfolio in particular, for example, um, and other types of things. And, and oftentimes people who care about climate, they care about, you know, the Black Lives Matters movement I mentioned. So equality, and, and there are different types of products we can start offering as well. So this will be, um, a company that offers a lot of values aligned investing options to people and our goal is really to make it available to everyone not only to wealthy investors so what is the the, the size of uh, the the market opportunity here are we talking we're talking about billions of dollars like do you have any like uh ball range about it it's trillions of dollars that are in retirement savings alone yeah so it's a very very large market so what's the, the next step in a way you, you're mentioning, like uh, now we are really doing this, uh, this ground up work with uh, the employees, like what needs to happen uh, to really go to the, to the, to the next step uh, and to scale? Uh, what would be the, I mean, what keeps, uh, keeps you up at night right now uh, and that you try to, to solve to really like unlock uh, this, uh, this growth? Well, we're very nascent right now. So we just, we're, we just founded the company within the past year. We just launched the product, uh, uh, this fund, a couple months ago. And now what we're working on is making that fund available on the different investment platforms and retirement platforms that exist. So that's really the next step. We're, we're available on a, a number of platforms, but really we want to be available everywhere. And so that's that's the main thing we need to unlock as we grow. And, and again, it'll come back to demand. So that employee movement, employees asking benefits managers, benefits managers asking 401k advisors, the more 401k advisors that are asking the platforms for this fund to be added, the quicker this fund will be made available everywhere. So that's really our next step. Fantastic. And uh, congrats on uh, everything that you have been able to achieve in, the, in a little bit more than a, than a year. So a couple of last questions before uh, we conclude this, uh, this part one. Um, according to you, I mean, what is the, the, the role that uh, women uh, can play in the fight against climate change? I mean, what is your opinion about it? And, and, and what would you recommend to, to female uh, founders, investors who wants to, to contribute to it? Uh, what could they do? Uh, we see, you know, like, you know how it works with the, 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 the work, uh, I would say the tech industry, but also the traditional work uh, sphere in itself. Uh, there's always this role of, uh, of women. And, and I feel like more than ever that uh, women is also like a, a big, important role to play in the, in the climate tech uh, ecosystem in itself. So how, what is your view about it? Well, oh, there's there's so many different things I could go into on this topic, but we have a short amount of time. <laughs> so I would say one thing, especially in climate entrepreneurship and climate tech in particular, is I do find that in mission-driven uh, enterprises, women tend to be especially powerful, motivated. I, I just, I'm so impressed within this industry in particular, within the climate industry in particular, about how many women-led companies they are, there are and how impressive they are. And I think it's not a coincidence because honestly, we know there's still inequality in the workplace, right? It is harder to be a woman um, in any type of job. And we saw the, uh, the extreme levels of that, especially in the U.S. Um, at the start of the pandemic when 
what far more women fell out of the workforce at the start of the pandemic than men because they fell into those roles of caring for children, caring for the elderly, much more than men did. And it, it just made apparent the fact that we still don't have equality at home in who takes those responsibilities. And we don't have the social support in this country to enable women to have the support they need to be able to keep their jobs. Um, and what I think all of that means in, in terms of values aligned work is that for the, the women who do persevere and work anyway, despite the fact that all of these dynamics exist in our society and have not been solved yet, are the ones who really care. It, it, if you aren't doing it just for a paycheck where it might be easier to say, oh, I'll let my partner get the paycheck and I'll stay home. Uh, if you're doing it because you're passionate about what you're working on and you want to create change in the world, uh, then, then, you know, I, I think it's, it's the people who are most hungry for change. Um, and, and I think that's probably why you see so many more women working on climate than you do in other, in other places, you know, in my, in IR labs, it, it was a, um, IR labs is a semiconductor company. So, you know, I have my climate hat, but I also have my semiconductor industry hat. And at those conferences, I stood out as one of the only women uh, on stage when I spoke on a panel or just, you know, the restrooms were always empty, which was great. And there was a long line for the men's room <laughs> in every conference I went to. Um, and, and then in finance, there's not quite the the imbalance that there is in in semiconductor. So I, I do see more women working in finance, which is great, uh, but still far more men. But then when you go to climate events, it's it's really wonderfully even, and there are a lot of really impressive women. And I think it is because we're just so passionate in this field. And of course, passion comes no matter what gender you are. But uh, I think it's what keeps us in the workforce and keeps us motivated every day is because we really want to see change in the world. Thanks a lot for, for sharing uh, your, your view on that. Uh, and it's true. We, uh, I mean, we see in the, in the podcast, we see in the different uh, report that we do about uh, women in climate tech that uh, there's so many incredible women and, uh, well, you know, always super happy to, to be able to, to share the, the, their voice uh, around the, uh, around the audience and the, and the community. So last question on my side, uh, regarding uh, the climate crisis in itself, like wh what is your, your personal opinion? And I know that you touched, uh, you spoke about that a little bit uh, uh, before, but uh, I mean, what would you say to people who are, you know, afraid of all of those terrible news and already visible consequences uh, of climate change? Like, as I always ask, are we doomed? Uh, I mean, what do you want to tell them? I would say that nobody has a crystal ball. It's hard to see whether we're doomed or not, but honestly, it's up to us. Um, there's this quote that I love by Margaret Mead, I think is her name, and I hope I'm not getting the quote wrong, but it, it's something like, never doubt that a small group of motivated people can change the world. In fact, it's the only thing that ever has. And that that quote gives me so much hope because it's true. If you think about it, um, major events in the world, like the founding of this country, uh, you know, it's a handful of, of people, the founding fathers of the U.S. who had this idea of creating a different type of government and going against the massive British Empire. And it wasn't really that many people, but they created a huge change in the world. And you think of any big change, um, putting somebody on the moon, right? It's, it's not that many people who decided they wanted to do this. And if, you, if we set our minds to something, um, 
As human beings, it's incredible what we can accomplish. So far, we have not set our minds to solving climate change. We're still working around the fringes, around the edges, and that's why we're living in such a scary place already now with these extreme weather events. But once we do actually all just decide, yes, we want to solve this problem, I have no doubt that we will, because we can accomplish anything once we set our minds to it. And that gives me a huge amount of hope. And the, the change in public opinion on the topic just over the past five years, especially in the US, I know in Europe, people have really cared about climate change and environmentalism for a long time. In the US, we're just starting to catch up. We went from 30% of Americans being worried about climate change five years ago to over 80% now. It's a massive change in public opinion in a very short amount of time. And so that gives me a lot of hope that now that the people are there, I think we'll start to, to make progress in the areas that we have to, to, to be able to turn this around. Thank you so much. So how can the, the community of uh, investors, founders, uh, experts around the, around the world uh, listening to the, to the show can help you? Uh, how can we help you? Ask your employer for a fossil-free investment option. Get your colleagues to do the same and then share. Tell everyone you talk to how crazy it is that we're all invested in fossil fuel companies and go try to do something about it. And just, you know, if you know people, especially working at big companies, I think big companies can have um, an outsized impact uh, just by one company making this option available. So if you have a colleague who works at a bigger company, a friend who works at a bigger company, even if you don't, talk to them about it. And then you can follow us. Sign up for our newsletter on our website. It's rsphere.org. You can also uh, follow us on LinkedIn or on Twitter just to keep getting news about what we're doing. Fantastic. So any question that I did not ask you that I, I should have for this first part of the interview? I don't think so. That was good. <laughs> thank you so thank you so much alex thank you so much for for your time your uh, incredible uh, insights and energy uh, and and story as well i'm i'm so excited to see you know so many brilliant uh, people like you uh, putting so much effort uh, to move the, the ball towards a, a better and cleaner world so thank you so much thank you so much for having me Hi, it's Guillaume again. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. As I said, do not hesitate to share an episode with a friend. Also, if you value the work we do for the climate ecosystem, here is how you can contribute to it. Today, I'm asking for your support and a donation or sponsorship to make the work of our self-funded team more viable. Even a small contribution means a lot to us. In any case, I will invite you to subscribe to our channels and visit our website startupbscamp.org to discover more episodes like this one. And get your membership to access all our members' exclusive content. So remember, all of this is possible because of your support and donation. And we want you to be part of this collective movement against climate change. Let's keep in touch and I hope you will enjoy our next show with us. Thank you.